predator and they know who they are. People that would access or view uh, maybe things through social media, girls on Instagram in a in a perverse way, in a corrupted way. But then the girls are on Instagram. So it tells us something about moms that are putting them on Instagram. So two things. They're too young to have an Instagram account legally on their own. So they need an adult a representative. In this case, apparently it's moms uh, that are being the adult, their legal authority to create this account and function so they can function as an influencer in the social media realm, their, their young daughter. Second, it tells us something that there's evidently a lot, a lot of money. To be. There's a lot of money to be made here, a lot of money to be made, a lot of celebrity status to gain, and there's some pretty dark things that show up, not just with the predators, but frankly, with the moms. So the problem here with these moms of young girls, the person, the one that should be taking the most care, providing the most protection, and they're encouraging them or maybe forcing them to be in this vulnerable, dangerous light for the world to see. The entire world. Money and fame. It seems that beyond wanting their daughters to be affirmed or popular, the moms are living through Uh, in some way attaining some sort of social status with the popularity of their daughters. So there are mothers of daughters out there that are doing these dumb and dangerous things because of money and fame. Potentially wrecking the lives of their daughters for the treasures that this world has to offer. That's what they are living for. So just a dark window into ambitions. A window today into the ambitions of people, people in our contemporary culture, but just know this is nothing new. This is nothing new, as we'll see from our text today. God gives ambitions. Our ambitions are good to have, to be ambitious, to have a desire for a a certain end in life is good. And we'll see how Jesus teaches us about how to view ambitions and have our ambitions shaped by the reality of of Jesus. Have it shaped by truth. But ambitions answer the question, right? What are you living for? So these moms, there's a window into something that they are living for in a way that they even would make their daughters vulnerable and not protect them. But the question does need to turn to us. What are we living for? What are you living for? This can be a good initial evangelism, kind of a pre-evangelism question with people that we know. Maybe we're wanting to to know where they're at with thinking about Jesus or wanting to know their spiritual background. That can be a great initial question. Hey, what what are you living for? I I make it my goal to know something about uh, people's journey in life. What's the greatest lesson you've ever learned in life? How do you feel you're being winning or losing in life? Those are all great pre-evangelism questions. And if answered honestly by anyone, that would tell us so much. That would tell us so much about a person, a person's worldview, a person's understanding of the purpose of life. It would tell us a lot about a person's ambitions. What are they living for? What's the greatest lesson they've learned in life? So as we continue to explore from the book of Matthew what God calls his disciples to. 
what God calls those who claim to follow Jesus to, the life given to us, who live by faith in Christ. And remember, he centers it on this teaching with the Sermon on the Mount. There's this profound statement in chapter 5, verse 20, that our righteousness, the righteousness of his followers, will exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, will exceed the righteousness of the religious elite of the day. Those who are viewed to be the closest to God in the first century. Those who are viewed to be the example of following God. And he's saying to his followers, your rightness, your righteousness will exceed their righteousness. So Jonathan preached last week, Jesus teaching about the praying to our heavenly father, praying intimately, honestly, reverently. So we're thinking about how God establishes and wants to shape our ambitions, like the starting point for having a life that's lived for God or having our life shaped by God, it starts with Him bringing us into relationship with us. So His relationship with us as Father, think about how it's granted to us, how that opportunity, how that relationship is given, is that Jesus serves as a substitute in our place, taking the holy, the just punishment for sin by God so that we can be called sons and daughters. We're reconciled. We're we're brought back, reestablished that relationship with God through Christ. So this personal relationship, our created purpose, just know it's severed. It's severed by what we've seen. We are completely unholy. Uh, The moms of the girls on Instagram, there's something there. There's something that's severing them from rational thought, let alone a relationship with God. So their personal relationship severed because of complete unholiness, imperfect motives at every point. And then God moves toward us in love and gives one and only one way back into his family. So it's because of this reality. It's because of this reality that our motivation in giving to the needy. This was the chunk of teaching where he's, he's lining up and showing that the, the Pharisees, the religious elite of the day, they would give to the needy all for sure. It was for fame that led to them prospering and profiting monetarily. It was for fame and money. So, and then also we saw last week their prayers. Their prayers, it was all a show. It was for money and some sort of fame in the world at that time. And then he goes on and he teaches about their fasting. They're denying themselves of water and food. They would do it all as a show. Their ambitions were wanting to have some sort of status in society, be known as the religious elite, and to profit from it. The praise of men and the profit of the world. That's what the religious elite... We're after. So it's because of that motivation that we see in our text today that loyalty to God, loyalty to God is revealed in our service to God. Loyalty to God is going to be revealed by our ambitions, what drives us, what we are living for. So, what are you living for? We've heard the passage read this morning already, but if you want to find it, Matthew 6. Matthew 6, picking up in verse 19. And if you want to do a quick scan, maybe you have some uh, subheadings there in your Bible and you can see where it comes in this line of teaching. He's going through and showing that their giving to the needy, their prayers and their fasting were all a show. 
They were all a show. They were from a heart that was driven by an ambition to have status, to hear the praise of men, and to profit from the world. And then he gets into, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So would you pray with me once more? Heavenly Father, we have just sung this morning about having... Every, with every breath, we want to follow Jesus. We've, we've sung that. We've sung about completing the race. Once the race is complete, what a, what a precious reality. We want, we desire for your truth today to help us endure in faith, help us to be shaped where truly every breath will be to follow you. Lord, we want our ambitions to be shaped and to align with your will and your ways. Would you help us? Would even our time together this morning be your way of grace to bring us into conformity with Jesus and finding our lives, have our lives being found in him? Please help us. In Jesus' name, amen. So if there's a title to the sermon, New Ambition, New ambition, and then thinking of the question, what does Jesus mean to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven? That can be kind of a confusing statement. What, what does that mean? We want to search out what that means from the text this morning. And if there's the sermon maybe in a sentence, and maybe too simple, simple, or maybe too complicated, depending on how you would view it, but sermon in a sentence, we must live for God's approval and the heavenly reward by desiring eternal significance instead of temporary significance. There's something he lines up with eternal and temporary. The world and heaven, we want to see it. So pulling that into our contemporary situation where we reside today, we want to see, do we, do we live like the religious elite in the first century? Is there anything in us that needs to be ripped out of our practice and our heart and our minds that would align with the religious elite in the first century where it was all religion. It was all ritual. It was all for a show. It was all for the praise of men and to profit in this life. If there's anything in us, would he, would he reveal that to us and tear it from us? So first point, our ambition in life, it counts. Our ambition in life counts. So he says in verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So he's saying, don't collect, don't store up. Literally that word, don't treasure your treasures. Don't treasure your treasures on earth. So God has already counseled his people, his people that would maybe be hearing this teaching in in the original audience of Christ at the time. They would know the wise way to live. Or they may have memorized or heard teachings on what wisdom is according to God. How to navigate their lives in a way that is pleasing to God. And one point does come up in Proverbs 23, 4. And it says, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. So our ambition, energy, focus is not to be. Not to be on accumulating material wealth or social status in this life. That would be a principle of wisdom that maybe even the original audience would know of. But then he says, but 
lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. So you see just the parallel and just the opposite statement, the contrast in verse 19 and 20. So he's saying, focus, focus on eternal things. Our lives, our whole reality and being must be directed towards the significance that God places on everything. That that difference between the physical world, earth and heaven, where God dwells, the ultimate destination for Christians. He's saying there is a distinction of where you're going to treasure your treasures, where you're going to store up treasures. So verse 19 has a prohibition. Do not, do not do this. So in the ancient Near East, clothing was something that exemplified wealth. Clothing was valuable. We have some examples. Joshua 7, Achan sinned when he saw a beautiful cloak there in uh, Shinar, and he stole it because it was something that was sought after. Elaborate or expensive clothing. But Jesus says, don't treasure your clothes. Moths, moths will destroy them. The clothing aspect of it. And in the same way, he's saying precious metals, things that had value, silver, gold, whatever it is, precious metals would have been considered a part of one's wealth as well. And he says, but Jesus warns, don't treasure precious metals because rust will destroy it. And then whatever valuables you have hoarded or collected in your house, just don't value those. Don't live for those because they can be stolen. In an instant, people can break through maybe the mud wall of their house. They can break through and take everything that you've collected, everything your life has been focused on. And then with verse 20, so he's going through and showing just all the aspects of wealth, whether it's clothing, whether it's precious metals, anything you can collect, you can't hold tightly to. It will be destroyed. It can go away in an instant. So in verse 20, he has this parallel exhortation. He says, lay, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where all these things don't happen, <laughs> where all these things don't happen. You don't have the threat of losing it all in an instant. So we have to pay attention that Jesus does say, he does say, store up and collect treasure. It's just a matter of where your treasure resides. It's all a matter of where it resides, the location of your treasure, earth or heaven. That indicates the type or the nature of your treasure. So again, ambitions are good. Ambitions to have a desire for a certain end is good. And it should be to collect something. It should be to store up or to treasure something. And Jesus says it should be treasures in heaven. So it's going to be either worldly or it's spiritual. Do you understand? There's no gray area. It's either or. It's either you're living for things of this life, temporary, or your ambition is for the heavenly realm. Your ambition is for the things of the Lord, things that bring God glory and are pleasing to Him. So think of like laying up treasures. Maybe it's easy. We know, okay, laying up treasures on earth, what would that be? Materialism, worldliness, uh, covetousness. How did you get that treasure? Was Was it motivated by you just want lavish luxury? You're trying to keep up with the Joneses or or whomever. You're finding security and wealth or appearance. Like you have your your nest egg. Like you know, like, hey, retirement is coming. It's happening. That's that's your whole focus. That's that's your whole sense of value and security. 
And then if you don't have these things, there's there's, this high levels of anxiety. There's high levels of worry. And then you, you covet, you compare yourself and you covet other people's things or their lifestyle or their experiences. Or do you trust in God? Do you value all the blessings that Jesus has taught in, even in the Beatitudes? Are those, those valuable to us? Are those valuable to us? Is there an aim to see that we would be disciples, we would be living in the already but not yet kingdom in the way that Jesus describes and prescribes to us? Do we value those blessings? Does pleasing God motivate our actions and the focus of our life? So scholars, they're kind of split. Uh, split on this verse and on this concept of laying up treasures in heaven. What is meant by treasures in heaven? Some say it's living in a way that confirms our salvation. Living in a way that our status as heirs of the heavenly inheritance, that's storing up treasures in heaven, that we're living out ways that confirm that we have faith and we trust in the present realities of our salvation and then what is to come. But there are others, they're including uh, Jonathan Edwards, a really famous 18th century theologian, that they write about degrees of rewards in heaven. And Edwards would say that those who were more faithful and more obedient, who would have maybe more godly, consistent ambitions in life, that they will experience a superior happiness. But that won't dampen, he's sure to write that it won't dampen the happiness of the others that were there, but they would be, uh, they were not rewarded in the same way. So it's interesting to think about, but we, we must acknowledge kind of for our purposes and for this text that rightly discerning truth, rightly discerning truth and applying it to our lives, that's God's will. That is God's will that's best for us and that will bring us the greatest joy in this life and the life to come. So even if, even if there's not going to be necessarily further superior happiness experience with godly ambitions in this life for laying up treasures in heaven in this life, even if it's not, we have to acknowledge that God has given this time of truth for his people, again, for, for all time, to show his will and his ways are best. And that will lead to not easy, not always happy, but that will lead to our greater joy. So regardless of what the reality or the experience for us in this life and the life to come for treasures in heaven, it doesn't matter. We just see that God calls us to lay up treasures in heaven. He calls us to have godly ambitions for verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Heart describing the whole of the self, the true self, our inner being. So in other words, depending on what you're living for reveals your ambition in life. What you're living for reveals your ambition in life. God goes and gives Paul the words that he writes in 1 Timothy 6. He says, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. We see this truth. We see this idea of ambitions and storing up and laying up treasures and and avoiding and the desire for material wealth or being rich, we see this throughout Scripture. So whenever we see that, what do we say? It must be a huge problem. It must be a problem that we need to be reminded of frequently. So he goes on that the, those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. This is a clear warning. 
against seeking to have treasures in this life. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Pastor H.B. Charles, he cites this story of a rich man, had a miserable attitude, and he visits this local minister that lived a simple life. So they're uh, not together long before the minister got this idea, this wonderful idea of how to illustrate to the man that his attitude was wrong. So he led him over to the window and he said, look out the window and just tell me what you see. So the man goes over and he says, I see some men, some women, some children. He sees out the window. Fine, the minister said. And then he leads him across the room to a mirror, to a mirror. And he says, now tell me what you see. The man frustrated or frowned and obviously says, obviously I see myself. Interesting, replied the minister. So he says, in the window, there's glass. In the mirror, there's glass. But the glass of the mirror is covered with a little bit of silver. And no sooner is the silver added than you cease to see others, only yourself. That is the driving force. Think of the moms with the Instagram Think of what it does to drive ourselves to having ambitions that will, by God's word, say the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and lead us away from the faith. What happens is when we are just self-focused, when all we see, when every motivation is just self, self, our emotions run wild and we're just anxious or worried or just caught up into different things and it's all about how do we feel about this? What makes us happy at all times? So what do we do? I learned a really long word this week. I'm going to try to say it. Ostentatious? Anybody? All right. Ostentatious. You know this word. Okay. So ostentatious would mean that we seek attention or desire to attract praise uh, by making our religious moves obvious. So again, think about the religious elite of the day, how they were praying, how they were fasting. Could anything about what what we do, even with religious moves, be about wanting attention, wanting the praise of men, seeking that, desiring that, attracting praise in any way, shape, or form? That is being ostentatious. May we pray, pray that the Lord would make us unostentatious. That's what the Pharisees were doing what Jesus is preaching against. Paul writes in 15, uh, Romans 15.20, he talks about his ambition to preach. His ambition to preach the gospel. And he uses a Greek term that's the opposite of the term in Philippians 1.17 when he says there's some that are preaching out of selfish ambition. So there's two Greek, Greek terms and they're in opposition to each other because the one in Philippians 1, Erethea, says that it's selfish ambition. So Paul had an ambition to preach Christ in order to render service unto God, to honor God. And those preaching with selfish ambition, they wanted to earn what? A level of fame and money. What makes the difference here? What is the difference in these laying up treasures in heaven or laying up treasures in earth, on earth? What is the difference between A godly ambition and a selfish ambition. Only seeing self. How can this be for us? 
Christ gives us. Christ gives us new ambitions. This is what he's telling his people. I, I'm bringing you, I will give you new ambitions. The disciple of Jesus gradually grows to love God more, truly love people more because of the work of the Holy Spirit living through us for the glory of Jesus Christ. So how do we experience this? God has a way of of teaching us this, reminding us of this reality for his people. So we may say, yeah, we want to live for God. Yes, we understand that Christ has given us a new heart. But how is he going to accomplish this in our life? When the race is complete, what we say, we steer or go away from the faith. We stay faithful. Our ambitions, daily we put to death our selfish ambitions and pursue godly ambitions. How do we experience this? Just understand, God has a way. He has a way of teaching us, reminding us of this reality for us. The primary ways he gave us a book. That's the primary way we preach it, we read it, we believe it. God's means of grace, his way of reminding us and instilling this grace that gradually grows in us to give us new ambitions in life throughout our time on earth. His word, his word shapes our lives. And if we ever deny that or go away from that, or put ourselves in positions where we're not feeding consistently on God's word, our ambitions, our ambitions in a dangerous way will shift. Will shift. He goes on to talk about uh, that same letter to 1 Timothy. God says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Set their hopes on, and set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. He goes on, They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. He's lining out the rich, even with their wealth, they are to use their wealth, leverage it, use it for kingdom purposes. He's saying there is a way, there is a way to have wealth in this life, but to still have godly ambitions. He says, storing up for yourselves treasure as a good foundation for the future so they can take hold of that which is truly life. So our ambition, our ambitions in this life, it counts. It counts. It counts for us. It counts for those that we would come in contact with, but what they see and then what they see, we know our ambition in life will be obvious. Our ambition in life would be obvious. So how do we know if our ambitions are not being shaped by the Bible and the Holy Spirit revealing His timeless truth to us? How do we know? Like, my ambitions are not being shaped by the Bible. The the passage here uh, wraps up with, the eye is the lamp of the body. The eye uh, in, in, in kind of Jewish literature or language was used much like the heart. To reveal, like, this is the whole of self. This is the window to the soul. So if your eye's healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if you desire things that are pure and pleasing to God, your life will be evidence of that. But if you desire the things of the world, your life will be evidence of that. And then look what he says. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So to let worldly desires lead us is is a tragedy. 
So no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So you're controlled by, you're in bondage to amassing material things, temporary security and worth, if, or, or you ser- or, and worth, or you are to serve God by taking delight in eternal pursuits. You can't do both. Again, it's an either-or proposition here. So if you're a slave to God, serving Him alone, reflecting His own generosity, and by the Holy Spirit seeing rightly, following the straight path of righteousness, that ambition will come to light. It can't be both. So four fronts. If we can just take four fronts or four ways to apply our heart's ambition. One, family and friends. Family and friends. First of all, maybe goes without saying, but I'm going to say it. Don't push your daughters to be provocative on social media, for starters. But don't just desire Jesus to be sprinkled into an already full schedule, an already successful life by worldly standards. This goes for parents or any of us that have family members and friends that we come in contact with, that they would see that for us, for us, our concern for them is that they know Christ. And follow Christ. That even if they're successful academically, athletically, a whole bunch of different extracurricular activities, maybe they're taking really cool trips, maybe they have you know, a lot of money or they're doing well professionally, that in our conversations, in our interactions, we would see that and not dismiss it, but that we would want to engage about the gospel if they don't know Christ. Or if we see that their ambitions are driven by the Lord. I see, I remember, again, as a, as a youth pastor, seeing so, much, so many parents that would get so excited about their students making good grades and like doing good in sports, and their kids didn't care a lick about Jesus. And it felt like their parents were okay with that. That we would be desperately seeking people, people especially the nearest and dearest to us, to know Jesus. The second front, to apply our heart's ambition, is in the church. So if I prove to be wealth-seeking or seeking the praise of man, fire me. Jonathan would say the same thing. Fire us. We are unworthy. And we are seeking the profit of this world and the praise of men. That is a, a worldly ambition. But can we hold each other accountable for integrity in our love for God? Our personal holiness? Are there relationships that we have? Are we talking about something other than what game was on last week? I'm, I'm the, the champion of small talk. So this was convicting to me. Can we hold each other accountable, especially as we move on? Move into a different uh, time, a different place, a different setting for our weekly corporate gathering. Can we talk to one another about, man, what is driving our life? What's driving our ambitions? What are those struggles and pains? And we just know how to intimately pray for one another holding one another accountable for pursuing the only thing that matters in this life. Number three, neighbors, or maybe the community members. So one of those pre-evangelism questions. If there's someone you can think of right now that you don't know where they stand with Jesus, you've never talked to them about Jesus, maybe before Easter, we can make it a goal. Hey, one person, I'm going to ask them, hey, what are you living for? We're going to ask one person, hey, what's the greatest lesson you've learned in? And would God use that as a way for us to share about the hope of the world? God would use that to help us share 
hey, this is the way, the only way to be brought back in to peaceful relationship with the God of the universe, Jesus Christ our Lord, that they would know. And then number four, the workplace. The workplace. Does the time you spend at work prove you prioritize what matters to God? Can you be a good, exceptional employee without sacrificing your effectiveness as a parent, as a friend, or a member of our church? Are your hours and duties negotiable for God to be glorified in your ambition at work? So Matthew, he's demonstrating with this gospel record, he's demonstrating, he's showing Jesus is the true understanding of the Torah. God's law. He's showing that its intention is to show that only in Him, only in Jesus, is forgiveness and personal renewal possible. Only in Jesus can there be a new heart. So coming back to that question, what are you living for? What are we living for? The reality of storing up treasures in heaven and having our ambition be for Jesus to be proclaimed? For Jesus to be exemplified in our present lives, the reality of all that is that we can't do it. We can't do that. We can't do that apart from having our lives transformed by the grace of God that comes through faith in Christ. We can't do it apart from Christ. So how are you with Jesus? How are you as you sit right here, right now, how are you with Jesus? Is there a time Has there been a time where you've repented because of failing God and rebelling against God and said, I need to be saved and I can't save myself. I'm done with seeking after the praise of men and the prophet and the things that this world has to offer. Today is the day. Cry out to God. Find rest from that. Find rest from that in Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Are you running from Him? Have you ever come to Him? And then for the church. Matthew wrote this for a community, for the church community, both Jews and Gentiles, to express the presence of God's kingdom and to share that message throughout the world. So, will we do what is necessary? Will we do what is necessary in our own life? Maybe over a family dinner this this evening. Maybe during a family prayer time or a prayer time tonight, will you strengthen your call to be a covenant member of this church? That you are vital to this church. So your presence, your gifts, your commitment is needed as we follow God's direction for us to be salt and light for as long as God will will it here in South Richmond. You think on what are our ambitions And how are they being shaped? Hebrews 13, God says in verse 5, Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have, for He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my help. What can man do to me? Pray with me.